two words. Derby Day. Two words that get pulses racing, hearts beating and the adrenaline pumping. Two little words that mean everything. The heroes remembered and celebrated, the villains vilified, neither forgotten in the mist of the Derby cauldron. De Vries, Hartley, Scatchell, Kyle, Don Cowie and Andy Webster. Just a few of those who could walk down Gorgie and never have to pay for a pint again. Just who, out of the next eleven, will never be left with an empty glass? The prize awaiting Robbie Nielsen is redemption, immortality and the opportunity to further cement his legacy as a heart's great. With an angry and hurt support baying for blood, is there a sweeter prize to deliver for a club ready to begin its climb back towards the top of Scottish football? The prize, you ask? To put it simply, it's Hibs, it's Hamden, it's the Scottish Cup. Bring it on. Hello and welcome to the big semi-final preview from the Hearts Review. Yes, it's the Scottish Cup semi-finals and Hibs stand in the way of Hearts making it two Scottish Cup finals in a row. I'm Ross McLeod and I'm joined as ever by my right-hand man and fellow Hearts supporter, Gordon Senior. Gordon, how are we this week? Bit nervous? Yes, uh, it, it, as each day gets closer, I think it's fair to say the nerves are, are starting to build and grow. Um, it, do you know what? It's a good thing in a way because it means that it's a sense of feeling normal again. You know, although it's not normal because we won't be there, but it, it, you know, I'm, I've got that those butterflies back. And um, after the, the last few months that we've had, it's a, it's, it's, it's a good feeling. It's going to be so different, though, not being able to watch the game from the stands. You know, it's it's going to be so weird having to watch it at home. Yeah, I mean, well, this is the first time I've watched a derby in the house um, in about 15 years, I think, there thereabouts. Um, I, I, I couldn't actually tell you the, the last one I, I did watch on the telly. So, yeah, it, it will be a strange experience um, because ultimately they're the games that, that create the, the biggest memories for you, um, the the best moments. And I think to, to listen, we'll celebrate them all the same, but the, the fact that it's, it's not at the stadium in the moment is, uh, is disappointing. But unfortunately, uh, during this time in the world, everybody's making sacrifices. And unfortunately, this, this pleasure of ours is, is one of them. Obviously, it's going to be weird not not being there. But you know, you think back to some of the games that that we have been to. For example, it was a great feeling finally beating Hibs, but then finally beating Hibs by a comfortable margin. A three-one win was our was our last result. It seems years ago now. But have we got to kind of have that similar type of performance on Saturday? Yeah, it'll be a totally different game because it's you know, for for a start, it's a bigger pitch different squads and obviously there's zero atmosphere there so ultimately I, I don't think you can compare it to previous derbies um, in terms of last season you know I mean if you think about it, it was the last game that we actually won was against Hibs um, from from us being there um, so yeah listen it's it's going to be strange but I think there's probably more pressure on the players I think uh, without there being a crowd there because they'll need to get themselves up for it, you know. Um, they'll need to find that extra level that the fans can give them. 
just say, you know, the game's tight with 10 minutes to go. Who's going to get that extra 10%, 15% that could potentially win you the game, um, which the fans give you? So, listen, it's it's a huge ask for both of them. The pressure's on, on both of them. Um, but, yeah, but, but certainly, you know, we'll, like I said, we'll celebrate it all the same. But it's... Um, it's crippling the fact that we're not we're not at Hamden. There will be more from uh, you later on in the show. We've got a bumper show coming up, and here's what's coming up. Coming up on the show, we chat to David about how we got to this stage of the competition. We have an exclusive interview with Don Cowie, and we chat about what the derby means to the fans. But first, having signed from Arbroath in 2001, Andy Webster played over 250 games for Hearts, scoring 17 goals three most notably against Hibs. He went on to play for Scotland and during his time lifted two Scottish Cups with Hearts. Andy, welcome to the Hearts View. Andy, you were signed from our Broth in 2001. What attracted you to sign for Hearts? I think probably the conversation I had with Craig Levine at that time, who was obviously the manager. Um, the one the one sort of deciding factor for me, and it was easy enough, was when he said, if you're good enough, you're old enough. And I thought, that's pretty much all I needed to hear. And obviously the opportunity to join a massive football club, playing in the highest league in the country, all the things that go with that. But as soon as he said that, I was like, yes, that's for me. And that was a challenge. Um, being 18 year old, going from sort of part-time football at Broth to going to one of the biggest clubs in Scotland, so it was it was a big jump. But as soon as he said that, I was like, yes. And I'd obviously been on trial at Hearts previously as well. I'd spent a few days training with the club, so I had a little bit better insight um, from my point of view and from their perspective as well. So, no, it was it was an easy easy enough decision. And what was the transition like from sort of part time, you know, being an eighteen year old laddie coming to Edinburgh to play for a big club? What was that like? Yeah, initially. I joined in the March, so I was, there was maybe, I think, six games till the end of the season, and I was involved in those six games, made my debut, played in an Edinburgh derby and such like, so found it amazing, sort of quite a smooth transition. I mean, obviously, ultimately, the manager brought me in to be in, involved in the first team squad, so that was that was a, um, a great period, and then probably the biggest adaptation for me was when I went back for pre-season training that sort of following summer. Um, with Craig Levine so I relayed this story the other night as well it was torture really <laughs> torturous two weeks of my life and I, I remember it so vividly um, yeah just really demanding the levels that the boys were at physically was way beyond my capabilities at that time um, didn't realise what it meant to be a professional footballer and also Craig Levine prided, his, prided himself and the team being fit um, so that that was a, a huge learning curve for me shall we say and uh, some some challenges along the way which which you can laugh at now but during that during that period the time was as I say felt torturous. We'll talk about derbies within your first spell under Craig Levine I mean have you got any sort of memories of your first few derbies? I think my first abiding memory of an Edinburgh derby I think my first one was at Easter Road um, and we were, defend- we were shooting up the hill and I, I don't know who the hip goalie was at that time, but I remember them taking a goal kick, kicking the ball really long, and obviously being a centre-back, I thought, right, I'm going to have to run and challenge for the ball. But, but standing in between me and the ball was Mitchell Patalainen, and obviously if you can remember him, he had, the, he had a physical presence. Now for me, somebody who was 18, just turned 19, 
play ability to side of a fiver, went to run and attack this ball. And as soon as I took two steps forward, he just put his arm out <laughs> and I couldn't move anymore. So, yeah, just just the intensity of it, I remember at the start, but just loved it. Just loved that competitive environment, probably more so going, Derbies are great and really special. And Tynecastle's like an unbelievable place to play football. But when you go Easter Road in a derby, that's kind of like the pinnacle of your derbies. So, yeah, to get these opportunities to go there, to warm up, which is now obviously a nice, beautiful stand, but used to be a bit of a shed where all the, shall we say, the passionate hip supporters used to sit um, or, or stand. And our fitness coach at the time, Tam Ritchie, always, 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 and we were always curious to know why. He would always put the warm up right next to the touchline over at the far side. And you're like, the amount of issues to get was brilliant. Really funny, whether it was yourself, pers- probably not so much personally, but when, you're, when your teammates are getting a bit of stick, so like warming up and Elvis is getting stick and other teammates are getting stick, it, it just makes you laugh. Um, just for the, for the venom that's coming out and the, and the passion that they're showing towards you. <laughs> see, see when that happens, Andy, when, when, you know, for example, when, when you are playing a big game like a derby, and you hear these sort of shouts, does that just automatically rile you up even more? Yeah, I, I think you use it to your advantage. You use that to kind of stoke the, the fire. I think just that bit where you got the sense, you know, when you, you're involved in these big games, it just gives you that sense of this is a big game. You know what's at stake. You know what it means to everybody. So it's just, yeah, it just, it just reaffirms everything you know before you go into the game. So I used to thrive off it. used to really enjoy it. And as I say, I used to enjoy it more when it was my teammates rather than me, which, which everybody finds humorous. You know, it's part and parcel of football. As long as it doesn't cross the, cross the, the border, then uh, yeah, it is what it is in football. And these, these things, yeah, you, find, you can find amusing. Because I suppose playing, um, well, kind of playing your trade at Arbroath, I suppose it kind of actually gets you ready for things like that, doesn't it? Because, I mean, you are playing in front of smaller crowds and you're more likely here things coming from the terraces so I suppose it kind of it hardens you a little bit starting off there compared to maybe a youth graduate who's coming through at a big club and they're throwing in the, the deep end for the first time it can maybe be a wee bit more difficult for them. Yeah, I think with that obviously being from Arbroath I played in a big derby as well Arbroath Montrose is as big as it comes as well so yes I've, I've been involved in a few of them as well and obviously growing up in Arbroath I used to go and watch Arbroath play and lots of my mates um, used to go and watch our both play as well and the amount of abuse they used to give to the opposition goalie behind the goal because obviously you know at Gayfield you can walk around the pitch yeah. so we always used to stay behind the goal that our both were attacking and <laughs> I always distinctly remember as well when our both would have a free kick and the opposition goalie was lining up his wall my mates used to run down to the, the front of the, the stand and shout left, left, left and obviously the wall would all to the left and the goalie would be shouting right and all sorts. So you do get to hear, you probably hear a bit more than most because it doesn't get lost amongst the bigger noise. But yeah, the individual shoutings uh, can be sometimes comedy value. What was Levine like in the lead up to Derby? Was he, was he always at ease or was he quite cool, calm and collected? I think probably for most, don't obviously Craig Levine played for the club had a really successful period as a, as a player and as a manager. So he knew what it meant. And it wasn't lost on us as players. We knew what it meant, whether that's the management team, obviously people like Craig Levine and Peter Houston, or the players who were at the football club at the time. You just, you know, the, the build-up to the game, the training that goes into it beforehand. 
Derby's take care of themselves. You don't really need to say overly much because you know what's expected. Um, which as I think sometimes in the build-up to Derby, sometimes from a manager's point of view, it's maybe slightly better just to take your foot off the gas a little bit because you know that the players are going to be are going to be kind of ready to go when the referee blows his whistle. So no, we all knew. They know what's expected. They know what to, what um, what's at stake as well. So yeah, you don't have to you don't have to motivate anybody for derby matches. Do Do you think when it comes to derbies that you know because they are so hundred miles an hour, um, right from kickoff? Do you think that's because the atmosphere and the build up? I mean, do you think this one at Hamden, for example, is going to be a bit different because there is no fans there? Yeah, I think when when the fans there, the atmosphere's there. You walk out the tunnel. You hear the fans, you, you know, I think that the hard bit for, for footballers during this period of time is is that lack of atmosphere because you want to play in these big games. And obviously the, the, the cup game is a massive game, but there would be more pressure, shall we say, or more expectancy if there was fans there. You walk out, there's 50,000 fans there. You, do, you know, um, obviously having spoke to a few footballers during this period as well, Something people thrive off that environment. Now, if you don't have that as well, you have to find different ways of making sure that you're mentally prepared for these matches. So, I'm sure obviously they've had a period recently where they know a little bit more what to expect. Um, but yeah, it's it's a difficult time for everybody. And I think any kind of derby loses a little bit when the fans aren't there. So, it's just something that during this period people have to get on with. What 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 do you think it was um, about? Well, Edinburgh derbies in particular. Do you think that because I mean a, a lot of people label kind of the, the Edinburgh derby is one of the most one-sided derbies in kind of world football, and statistically it is. But I mean, was that something that was kind of drummed into you guys when, when I mean, and and you're, you're both spells at hearts. Were you kind of were you told to sort of have that kind of arrogance that listen, we're better than these, we're going to beat them, or did you just take each game as it came and and the record was what it was? Yeah, I, th- I think with records and stuff, sometimes you can get maybe a little bit too caught up with these. Um, they're kind of an afterthought. Um, so I think regarding that, you knew, I think your confidence comes from your teammates round and about, who you, who you walk out onto the pitch with. And obviously, in my first spell, I would have been fortunate to play with experienced professional footballers of a real high quality. So I knew going out on the pitch that if we performed well, there's every chance of winning. People tell you form goes out the window in a derby, which is probably true because you could have a terrible run leading up to it and one derby win changes everything and and vice versa. So I think it's probably about the team who can handle the occasion the best generally tends to do well. And during my first period and my second period as well, always felt confident going into a derby match that we would win the game of football. Now, it didn't always turn out like that, but I was never fearful. Um, as I say, probably enjoyed these occasions, thrived on the competition, thrived in the environment, found it a great challenge um, and something I always relished and looked forward to. So I think from that point of view that once once you start building up a bit of momentum, it becomes a psychology battle as well. Um and they would have said, oh, we've not won in so many games or hearts have won so many games or they're undefeated in so many games. 
it starts building up a bit of momentum for you and people start to look a little bit more into these things and sometimes not saying it would be the case in the end of the derby, but sometimes you can go into the pitch and the opposition can go, we're never going to win today. So I think from that point of view, that we were every time we went on the pitch in an Edinburgh derby, I always felt confident we'd win the game of football. Because I suppose it, it's quite an interesting, because I, I think it was 2004, um, one of maybe Craig's last derbies, and we had, we, you know, our form was a bit indifferent. I think we had just came into the game um, back-to-back defeats to Celtic and Feyenoord. Um, and Hibs were flying. I think there were eight, eight matches unbeaten. Um, but we still went and beat them 2-1. Patrick Casnobo scored. Yeah, I, think, I think, as I say, your form goes out the window. And if you're saying we got, came up against Celtic and Feyenoord, they're two top teams. Um, sometimes you can maybe get caught up in these things a little bit. But as I say, when the derby rolls around, I think probably things that the manager could impact on is obviously the selection of the team and how the team functions on the pitch now. Under Craig Levine, we always worked hard said this the other day to somebody also that probably on paper not overly glamorous and that's maybe doing the players a disservice, but we functioned way better than maybe what people anticipated. And likes of Paddy as well, like great team player, somebody who would work unbelievably hard for the team, could play in numerous different positions. So as I say, that's where my confidence came from, going out on the pitch, looking around to see your teammates and knowing that the 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 willingness to sacrifice himself for the greater good was always going to be there. And I think these things kind of shone through in Edinburgh derbies where we had to, ultimately it's a battle. Um, and it comes a lot of it comes down to a battle of wills as well. And I think that we had a strong mentality and I think that was something that was instilled in us um, through Craig Levine as well. So as I say, we, all, we always had that sort of steel determination. Of course, you got your first derby goal in a 2-2 draw at Easter Road. How, how did that feel? Was a last last gasp equaliser, from right and saying? You probably can remember a little bit more about it than me. I, I do know that I obviously scored a few goals against Hibs. Um, but yeah, just oh, it's it's a great feeling. Um, and I think probably one of these things you, you do appreciate as a football player, but obviously I think recently I took my boys to watch the Edinburgh Derby at Easter Road as well. And, Hearts were excellent that night, and when they scored the goal, you get a different perspective of stuff. So, yeah, to be out on the pitch and be able, to be able to sort of bring that joy to the fans, and when you, especially down the way end, and you just go, you just yeah, you go. That's what football's all about. It's these little gold nuggets that you get every so often, where you just go, yes, that's that's why I get out of my bed in the morning, and that's why I work as hard as I do because, yeah, these 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 things are you you can never replicate these things in life. I'm afraid. So when you do get these little bits, it's 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 an unbelievable feeling. We're going to talk about the Scottish Cup winning season as well. In 05 06, you know, there was a lot of change at the club. You know, like Romanov had just came in and bought the club. You know, what changed over that summer? The, by the sounds of things, there was a lot of players that, that came through and a lot of people didn't know like who half the players were. When Craig Levine became the manager, there was a shift. And then obviously when Vladimir Romanov bought the football club, there was another shift. Um, and the club just went to a whole different level. In terms of bringing in George Burley, it was a major coup for the football club. The manner in which him and his backroom staff recruited the players was outstanding and how we gelled together as a team at the early part of that season, where the team was just functioned really, really to a high level. Um, yeah, and built that momentum at the start of the season with real quality, quality players and, and some really good people as well, which I think's 
sometimes difficult as well. These players come from a different country. It's a different culture. They've experienced the come, but everybody took it, which was which was great to see. Um, and winning games of football always helps. So I think from that point of view, everything everything just married together, and the and the team functioned at a really high level, which was which was great to be involved in. Was it quite a shock when George Burley got the sack? Yeah, whichever way it came about, it was a huge shock. I think that the manner in which the team had started that season, the contribution that the manager had had within that was massive, can't be underestimated. So for for it to happen in the manner in which it did, or at the time in which it did, took everybody by surprise. Um, Because I think, if I remember correctly, at that time, it was like the best start that the club had had for 80 years during the season. We were absolutely flying. We were beating everybody. I wouldn't say we were always wiping the floor with people, but every game we went into, we had that real determination and belief that we could beat anybody. And that was testament to the players, also the manager as well. So for to go from being sat at the top of the league, or near enough at the top of the league, to losing your managers, these things generally don't tend to happen in football, unless there's exceptional circumstances. So it did, it did catch us on the hop, and it definitely took the wind out of our sail a little bit. Um, because nobody expected it. Andy, I know hindsight in football is, is, is quite a funny thing, um, but do you think at that time, with that team, and if George was allowed to continue his work and Hearts had invested properly, do you think, looking back on it now, for example, the way kind of Scottish football is, do you think Hearts could have went on a sort of similar run as to what Celtic have done with the way they've just dominated Scottish football? Do you think, you know, because obviously things have kind of spiralled in maybe a different direction, but if Hearts had maybe been up there, they had maybe won the league title, they had won certain trophies, got themselves into a certain position where they were up challenging um, in, in Europe like Celtic and Rangers did over that period, do you think well, Hearts as a club would definitely be different, but do you think Scottish football would be different for it? I think probably the simplest way to answer that during that season and during the initial part of the season I can only speak for myself but probably not far off everybody else's thought process as well but I, I had a genuine belief that we could have achieved something really significant that season um, because you just we had that we felt we had that air of invincibility about us the manner in which we went on the pitch um, the performances we were producing the wins in which we were getting so I think don't know. It's hard to it's hard to judge and sit here and sit and speculate. But I genuinely think we would have went very close. Um, whether we would have won a league title or whether we wouldn't have, or whether we would have brought in new players, and these are all kind of secondary. But I think during that initial part of the season, I think there was real momentum at the football club where we all genuinely believed that something spectacular might have potentially happened. Um, but we'll never know. <laughs> Of course, that season finished in a Scottish Cup win, and obviously on the way we played uh, Hibs in the semi-final. I mean, what was the feeling before that game in the camp? Just another win. <laughs> I think, <laughs> like as I said, see when you look around and you see people, and I know obviously Paul Hartley grabs the headlines, and, and rightly so. He produced, but these are the types of players when you go in the pitch and you look around and you know that you've got that quality within your team, and they just know. Obviously, they know what it means. And these big game players where they just, when it comes to semi-finals, you need to win. You just look to these players and you go, 
you know they're going to produce. Um, and that semi-final obviously turned out a lot more convincing than anybody hoped, which is always a nice feeling. <laughs> these things when it's a bit more of an even keel and you're a bit more concerned about these things. But once it gets to that level, you kind of you know you've done your bit and, and things are going to work out all right. And being a defender, I always obviously err on the side of caution and being a bit more pessimistic with things rather than going, yeah, let's do a bit more and score an extra goal and whatever else. Um, so, no, I think, as I say, the quality we had in that in that team and we had match winners over the pitch and also Paul Hartley was a midfielder, but scored some great goals during that and had a major, major contribution to it, um, along with everybody else. But obviously he grabs the, headlights, uh, the headlines and, and rightly so. See, see during that period, um, you know, obviously we, we, we thrashed Hibs three times during that season. And I mean, it's it was certainly Hibs were no mugs that season. I mean, you could argue it's probably the best Hibs team that you'll have actually played against, really, um, th- throughout your time, not just the Hearts, but in, in Scottish football in general. Um, for example, when you went to Easter Road, uh, the the two games we, where we lost, was it the case that maybe they just wanted it more that day, or is it just one of those things that that happens in football? Yeah, I think the hard bit to say generally is when you th- people from the outside looking in say they wanted it a little bit more. Sometimes you don't play particularly well, and these things transpire. You might the I don't know. You might move a bit more to your left than you should have to your right. So I generally tend to find that ultimately with derbies, it's, it comes down to who's going to win the battle. Now, if you win the battle, you have every chance of winning winning the match. And as you say, Hibs, during that period, especially at the start, had a lot of really talented football players who all came through and who've all played at a really good level in international football and had huge recognition. So I think during that period, we came up against a really good Hibs team. Um, and as I say, you've no given right to go on a football pitch and win. And it's always doubly difficult winning away from home in derby matches. So that's why when you do win at Easter Road, it always tends to be a little bit more sweeter. A wee bit later on in the show, we will have the second part of Andy's interview. But until then, we've got David. So David, it seems years ago since we actually started the Scottish Cup campaign. It started obviously with a, a 5-0 win over Airdrie. I mean, we probably thought we were going to get beaten that game considering how bad we were last season. Yeah, I mean, I know I did. That's why I went to the pub about half past 11 that day. Because uh, I thought, well, you know, it's going to be a tough one. Then somehow it turned out to be one of the easiest games I'll probably have watched Hearts ever play. Airdrie took quite a good crowd that day as well, if I remember correctly. Um so it was actually quite a good atmosphere for a fourth round, well, fourth round tie, which is never usually happens in Tynecastle unless you get one of the big guns. And uh, we played some good football. Uh, we played quite a, a fairly strong team. I think we had to. <laughs> I think if we put a weakened team when we were on that bad run of zero wins and whatever, there would have been question marks. Um, and I, even looking at the team, I thought, yeah, I'll take a one 0 here. I think everyone would have. But five 0 was nice. It was a classic kind of Stenville performance. Obviously, the early goal helped from Andy Irvin. Then, obviously, Sean Clare, who went on to score a few goals in this competition, came up with a great finish as well. I mean, it, it turned out to be kind of his competition. It was the games where he kind of flourished, and I don't really know why. And I was like, it's just one of these things, I guess, for players, they have these, they just have these tournaments, they have these games, that they just seem to get the best out of them. And I scored uh, a sensational volley. I mean, it was kind of, it, it was a really... I, I, I'm still a, a little bit speechless talking about it because it came from Sean Clare's right foot. I mean, I've never, I just, I've seen him line it up. I just thought, yeah, Rose Ed, and he's put it right in the top corner. I couldn't believe it. The good finish from him. 
the Andy Irvin one was, uh, aye, that settled the nerves because I think you could tell with AJ bringing such a big support, I think they knew, even with a strong hearts team, we were, we were there for the taking if they rattled us early on. But thankfully, our porty Pirlo managed to settle the nerves uh, early doors. And from what I, again, a long time ago, from what I can remember, more like a cross, but somehow find the bottom corner. But we'll call it a measured finish. On to the fifth round, a cold, miserable Saturday night in Falkirk. I mean, my 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 memory from that is um, being, you know, in in a pub beforehand, thinking, right, you know, up for the game, up for the game. I'm really, you know, really buzzing for this. Um, this was it. This was at four o'clock. Um, watching the scores come in, suddenly got to seven, and I was um, miserable. Um, to say the least. It, it really wasn't an advert for making games at seven o'clock on a Saturday. No, absolutely not. I mean, I, I was exactly the same as you. I woke up, I was in the mood for it. It was a train journey through, a couple of cans, yeah, find the pub, get settled for the afternoon. And I was like, yeah, really up for this. And as the hours kept ticking on, the later it was getting, the less I could actually be arsed going to the game. I mean, we got Judas actually in the pub. We ordered taxes and they just wouldn't come. It was like, nah, it's too wet. So we had to run to the game. And make kickoff. The pre-game, I enjoyed. I enjoyed uh, up to, up till kickoff, I was having a great day. Superb yeah. day. Uh, my, my spirits were dampened um, just before we got into the game because the, the massive queue outside the Falkirk Stadium. But I mean, it's classic Scottish football: two and a half thousand away fans, one turnstile. I mean, you couldn't write it. Could you? Oh, it was it was absolutely ridiculous. But you know, to Hearts' credit, we we got through just yeah. miserable day. You know, the game really shouldn't have went ahead, let's face it. If Falkirk had a grass pitch, they almost would have certainly been abandoned, or postponed at least. Uh, yeah. yeah, they were lucky they had an artificial pitch. I mean, unlucky for us because we had to stand in that pitch and rain for 90 minutes. You know, Sean Clare doing the business again from, from the yeah. penalty spot. It was good. Uh, I mean, it was a, it, there was only going to be one way to settle that match. I mean, Falkirk, from what I remember, really should have been a bit feel up by the time we had a penalty. I mean, they had the bar, one off the line. Uh, they pretty much battered us for about 60 minutes and then it was just because of the wind just a long ball over the top Boyce using his uh, uh, striking brain to win a penalty Uh, a nice fall classic classic embellished uh, dive there as we love to see in Scottish football and then I no doubt about Sean Clare scoring the penalty even though I do any time I see Hearts take a penalty I'm never confident but there's times when you just see someone go up to take it and be like, yeah. That, it was like Danny Grange in the cup final. He thought, yeah, he's scoring this. No doubt about it. And then on to the quarter-final at Tyncastle. I mean, we weren't expecting much from this game. You know, there was only, I think it was a half-empty Tyncastle, if I remember rightly. But, you know, empty limbs occurred. That is the funniest game I've ever been to. I enjoyed that game so much because I, what the most amazing thing about that game was that Rangers at no point threatened us. Brian Jack had a Shot from about 25 yards out that went about a whistle wide and I thought hey, that'll be the Rangers onslaught coming. Just didn't come. They were just, they were rubbish. And their centre halves, I mean, oh, I've never seen a comedy show like that. I mean, that, that was slapstick stuff, wasn't it? I just remember the, the pandemonium in the stands when Lord Demure did hand the ball into the net. Everyone was going mental and then... You and I, you and I were hugging, we were like, yes! Yeah. We were celebrating, I mean, Scott Wilson, he's playing the music, Rangers fans are chucking cups on the pitch, everyone's going... T- I mean, there's no consensus of what was going on. I, I, nobody had a clue what was happening. And I, that just made it the, fun, the more funny, the fact that we then actually scored. 
Uh, I was proper. I mean, you got two wins for the price of one. And as of all the players that actually get the goals, it was uh, Oli Bazanic who didn't really do much apart from this. The one that's just honestly the most pointless footballer. But fair play to him for getting a goal like that. And then uh, oh, Alan McGregor going in no man's land for the goal, literally coming outside the box. And obviously in classic Alan McGregor fashion, blamed on someone else. Oh, thank you, David. Uh, thank you, Ross. Thank you for bringing back some horrible memories from last year. <laughs> Thanks for putting my stress levels up to here now with a game in this weekend. And on to our second guest. Having signed for Hearts in 2016, Don Cowie made 90 appearances for the club and scored 5 goals. One of which was most notably against Hibs in the Scottish Cup. Welcome to the Hearts Review, Don Cowie. Don, you signed in 2016, you know, Robbie Nielsen brought you in. What made you choose to come to Hearts? I know there was maybe a lot of interest in you at the time having played down in England. To be honest, I had quite a quite a difficult spell at, at Wigan. Um, I'd had a in that summer. I'd had a, a calf operation, uh, both my calves, and then a few weeks later, I had my append like emergency surgery, my appendix. I got that taken out, and um, I struggled. Um, you know, I, I couldn't quite um, get my form going. I couldn't get in the team and stuff, and it was difficult. And it got to January. Um, and I had a decision, you know, there was a couple of options uh, to leave Wigan. Um, but when Hearts, you know, when Robbie phoned me, um, that was the team I wanted to go to. It was, it was an opportunity to come back to Scotland. Um, I'd been away for seven or eight years. So it was that transition of, of heading back north again with the family. They were getting a bit older, uh, my two daughters. Um, and I just knew that uh, Hearts was a big club um, and I wanted to be part of it. It wasn't until I signed and I played for the club, I realised how big big a club it was. But at that stage, that was the reason um, that I wanted to join Hearts. And you were sort of put right in the deep end in your first game. You came on, I think it was a 2-2 draw against Hibs in the Scottish Cup. How how was that, you know, coming right into an Edinburgh derby? It was difficult. Um, I'm not going to pretend it wasn't. Um, like I say, I was, I was coming off the back of a difficult six months at Wigan where I um, I was struggling for fitness um, on the back of, of what had happened with the injury and the appendix and stuff. So, you know, you, I was sub for the game um, and memory serves me right, uh, Prince Bobbin got injured early on. Uh, so sort of, sort of got thrown in a, a wee bit sooner um, than I thought because, like I say, I hadn't played a lot of football. But just adrenaline takes over, you know, you, you're sort of... I was just sitting there and enjoying the, the atmosphere and, and sampling what was going on because never been part of it. Like I say, didn't realise how big a, big a derby it was. Um, just sitting back enjoying it in the dugout and you get the call after 10, 15 minutes, a uh, bit of baptism of fire and then you go on and we go 2-0 up and you're thinking this is, this is brilliant, uh, great start, um, great debut to be part of it. And we were fairly comfortable in the game until probably... Uh, 10, 15 minutes to go, 20 minutes, they, they threw everything at us and unfortunately managed managed to get two goals and, and, and take it to a replay. Um, so, you know, real disappointment after the high of the, the sort of first half. Don, what, what do you think actually happened there in, in the last kind of 10 minutes in that game? Because like you say, we were extremely comfortable and I, I don't even remember Hibs particularly having many shots at goal throughout the entire game. Do you think it was the case because we had put so much into the game in the first kind of 75 minutes that we just kind of blew out of steam? 
I think um, I think in football it's it happens many many a time. If if we knew the answer, then we would all be the the best manager in the world. But you you you're two 0 up. Everyone says oh it's a dangerous score to have, but I'd far rather be two 0 up than be two 0 down. And you know they've got nothing to lose. They start to uh, throw everything at you. They're they're shooting into their their own fans and. You know they've got that probably they get the goal and makes it two one and then it just gives them a new lease of life going into that last spell of the game and um, you know the let the rest is history in terms of you know they get the equaliser really late on um, and it's disappointing you know because when you're you're two up you like to think you can to see the game out especially like you say when you, when we did feel uh, fairly comfortable up until that point. Do, do, do you think that that had an effect on the, the second leg then? Probably give them a bit of momentum. Um, you know, they were the team that was playing in the league below us. Um, so you, you you sort of think we should be superior in that sense. Um, but that galvanised them. It gave them that real purpose going into the, uh, the replay. That's not to say that we didn't go into it thinking that we could go and, go and win the game um, at Easter Road. And again, in the replay, um, you know they scored early on uh, to go one nil up. But after that, I'm pretty sure second half we we had all the ball, and in fact we did because you know I, I I played wide in the first half, and in the second half I played centre midfield, and I remember getting an awful lot of the ball, and it was almost waves of attack, and it just wouldn't drop for us. I remember Wanma having a few and and things, but it just didn't quite fall for us, and. Uh, to be fair to them, they did what we couldn't do in the in the first um, game. They seen it out; um, it just didn't drop. But we dominated the game. We really did that, uh, especially second half. The aftermath of not beating them it made me realise just how important that game was. Um, I think we all know not long after that, we you know we had a home game against Park Thistle, and you see a banner flying over the stadium. And it probably hit home just how important that game was for me at that precise moment. You know, I thought I was playing for a big club, um, but then it, you know, really hit home just how big it was and how important this derby meant to the meant to the fans. Because, you know, I was coming into a team who had did phenomenal to win the the championship that had a a Hibs and a Rangers in the league, the manner in which they they won the league. I then joined a team in January, like I say, who were sort of fighting for second, third place at the time. And then a couple of weeks later, you, you know, you're seeing that unfolding during a game and it, it just shows you what it meant um, and, and how disappointed we all were. What was Robbie Nielsen like as a manager? Um, I've, I've worked under a lot um, and he was he's, he's up there, that's for sure. He's just in terms of his personality, his man management, um, you know, you, I, I know I was an experienced player at the time, but I felt extremely comfortable around him. Um, but at the same time, there was that aura about him where you wouldn't um, mess about. You knew that there was that discipline there. But at the same time, if if you're walking along in the training pitch with him, would you feel comfortable having a conversation with him? 100%. Um, you know, whereas some managers, you might feel a bit inferior to them and and not quite as you know comfortable. Whereas is he, you know, he had that. Um, 
you know, in my time, he was he was brilliant with me. Um, just going back, like I said, I had that difficult period from arriving at the club and in the first few months, um, I was still struggling to get my fitness, still niggling away. And, you know, one memory that always, you know, sticks out in my head was a couple of games before the end of that season, we played at home and I knew in the first half, I think it was St. Johnston, um, you know, a little niggle happened in the same area of my calf. And I knew I shouldn't be on the pitch, but probably being my pride kept me on for the first half. And then it got to half time. And as he does, he would ask how everyone is. And I knew I wasn't quite right. And I said, no, I'm I'm not right. And, you know, I'll be honest, you know, I shed a tear because you start to to doubt yourself. You think, can you keep going? Is your fitness, um, you know, something I sort of, base my game on and if it's breaking down can you keep going and he went out of his way to to come and see me and reassure me and that you know he'll do everything he can to to get me back and get me fit and and that's exactly what happened in that pre-season that came up afterwards. During kind of um, I think obviously your your first kind of full season at the club um, that there was a change in captaincy um, when obviously Perry uh, Kitchen took over the armband uh, quite a lot of people at the time felt that you yourself would, would have been given the armband when it was kind of Alim was was going to be, sort of be dropping the armband. Were you quite surprised that that, that you never got the nod? Yeah, I was um, because I felt we were we were doing well at the time um, under me being captain. Um, you know, we were sort of second, third in the league, um, and it got to the stage that. He had to make a decision because Aleem had found himself out of the team. Um, it was basically John Seward was playing and uh, Igor Rossi. And so he, he couldn't get in the team. So rather than have Aleem as a captain, and you know, it's difficult when you leave your captain out. It's a real statement. So I think maybe sort of five, six games into that season, he felt he had to, to make a decision. And I, I remember it. He... He called me into his office and he explained that, that he had to make a decision. And I'm almost nodding my head as if to say, yep, you're going to say I'm the captain. That's what I thought was happening. Um, but he said, look, we've decided it's going to be Perry. Now, I was extremely disappointed. Um, and I, I told him that because I, I thought I had to. I didn't think it was um, it would be right for me to sit on that and just let it stew. I had to get it off my chest. And I said, I, I didn't agree with it, not because I didn't think Perry could be the captain. I just felt it was going well the way it was, and I, I was enjoying the responsibility of being captain. Um, but as a club, I think they felt at the time, you know, Perry, his age, he was the centre midfielder. He had broken to the uh, the US national team. I think that they just felt it could maybe elevate him further in his career. Um, bring that little bit extra out, you know, off him as a player and as a person. Um, and I think he'd probably be the first person to admit that um, he struggled a wee bit with that role. Um, it was a bit new to him. Um, and it probably took a wee bit of an edge away from his game. Rather than just concentrating on himself, all of a sudden he was having to think of his teammates. And it, it probably had a detrimental effect on him if anything um, you know Robbie just felt for me that 
he seen me as a captain anyway. He said, I don't need you wearing an armband because I know you won't change whether you wear it or you don't. But I just felt when I, when I did have it, it was a real, you know, it's, it's probably one of the proudest moments of my career when I was wearing that armband just because I knew how much after that initial six months at the club, I realised how important it was. Um, and walking out at home, knowing that you had the armband on your arm, it, it's, a, it's a proud moment. Midway through your first full season, Ian Cathro came in. Was there excitement around the squad with such a, a young manager that obviously people had heard a lot of? Initially, it was a real disappointment because Robbie and uh, Stevie Crawford had left. Um, you know, I think we all we all know we beat Rangers at home 2-0 and then the next day it was confirmed that he was leaving the club. So at that stage, you're you're disappointed because no matter what happens in football, no matter how the team's playing, good or bad, if the manager changes, he's going to want to change something. You know, whether it be personnel, formation, the regime, training, it's going because everyone has their own ideas. They want to put their own identity on on the team. Um, so you know that there's going to be that transition period. And lo and behold, that's what happens. You know, um, we were quite, a, I would say, a physical, energetic team under Robbie. Probably not the most pleasing on the eye, but we knew how to get results. Um, and then Ian probably coming more of a coaching background. So it's different players do different roles. Um, so it's only natural he would want to players who were playing all of a sudden are not playing. You know, you people like Igor Rossi, who was a real stalwart under Robbie. You knew what you were getting battling centre half. All of a sudden, he plays a few games, but when it gets to January, people like you know him, he leaves. So the identity and the DNA of the team changes all of a sudden. Were were, were you quite surprised when uh, Robbie kind of left and it was so sudden? I mean, it, it did come out the blue, but was there any any inkling or any talk that something might not be quite right leading up to that? No, it, generally all we knew was probably the day of the game when it had sort of broke. Um, going into that Rangers game that there was a there was a lot of sort of paper talk that there was an interest and it was close but you know you would never know from Robbie going into that game his pure focus was probably on on just winning that game because what a way to to leave the club in terms of beating Rangers leaving a second in the league it, it, it couldn't have went any better for him there is no better game than under the lights at Tynecastle against you know, Hibs or the old firm. It's just, it's like no other game that I've sort of played under in terms of just the way the the fans embrace it. And you, know, you could do anything in that game and you'll get an applause for it because the fans are just so up for it. You know, you can feel it, you can sense it. Um, and they give you that extra couple of percent. There's no doubt about that. Because um, you know how behind behind you they are um, so that was the motivation the motivation was to beat Rangers and be second in the league What were some of your best memories playing for, for Hearts under the lights Don? Uh, probably the two the two Rangers games um, you know beat them beat them 2-0 beat them 4-1 um, they're the games that, that really stand out in, in my head in terms of under the lights at, at Tyne Castle um, both 
very similar games. You know, I thought we were we were excellent in both games. Real energetic, in your face performances from the team, and because you know when you're playing a, a team like Rangers, who are technically very good, if you give them time, then then they'll cause you real problems. But they were the they were the ones that, that stick out in my you know memory that I you know really enjoyed, and the fact you win them as well, it's it's special. Obviously, there was a lot of transfers in and out the club that January, and we we got drawn again against Hibs in the Scottish Cup that season as well. Obviously, we we drew the the first leg and then you know got got beaten the replay. I mean, how how hard was that to take for the squad and for the management team at the time? Yeah, because it, it, it was it was difficult. It was a difficult uh, period in terms of, like you say, Ian had came in. There was a lot of negativity about him that was was very unfair to start with, um, just in terms of probably his background and how he got the job and and stuff. But anyone who asks asks me about him, you know, I, I learned an awful lot about football under him. You know, the way he coaches, um, the sessions he put on, it's some that I would you know I would use myself to this day because it was very good. Um, I just felt the the balance wasn't quite right in terms of uh, with Ian and um, and Austin. Not not between them two. I just felt there was maybe it could have done with somebody else to make it three. Um, maybe someone a bit more experienced, different personality. And if that was the case, I, I could see it working because you had Ian, who was an excellent coach. You have Austin, who's excellent at the uh, analysis side and stuff like that. If there was someone else there, maybe different personality, I could see how it would all come to fruition. Um, so it was difficult at that time. A lot of players coming in and out. You know, there was the we drew with Rafe Rovers the first game back after the break in the, the cup, and then again a lot gets made of of Ian's interview after the game, and it's it's all negativity. We go and beat them and the replay play an extra time if I remember memory serves me right so it, it, you know it wasn't not the way we wanted it to go and then you get drawn against Hibs again uh, massive game and it was a very very poor game the 0-0 at Tynecastle um, remember I'm sure Hibs fans were delighted when Darren McGregor barged into me and, and cracked my ribs and um, you know I wasn't able to play the the return leg, the replay because of it. Um, and it's tough. You're sitting in the stand and you're watching it. And again, it was it was a pretty comprehensive victory for Hibs at, at, at Easter Road in the replay. And then that just builds up even more negativity. Uh, you know, if you you talk about the what if, well, if you win that game, that could could change everything. But it wasn't to be the case. Do, do do you think obviously that there was a a lot of negative uh, negativity coming from the press and things like that because there seems to be a a kind of thing in Scottish football where if it's not the status quo we seem to react differently to it and it's it's almost like you know what 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 are you doing because if you speak to a lot of Hearts fans at the time and and myself included and I'm sure Ross was as well we actually wanted Ian Cathro to 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 be appointed because it was. You know, it was something different, you know, and, and he came in and I thought his first press conference, he spoke very well. Um, he, you know, he was clearly ambitious and I think that's something that the, the club had to be at that time because it could 
really, you know, it was it was it was at a level where it could you could see it going even further. Um, so, do, do you think that the negativity from the press kind of surprised him, because in the fact that he hadn't really been up in Scotland for a while, he'd kind of coached mostly down south where he was out of the limelight. Do you just think that was just maybe it just got on top of him in the end? Yeah, it was it was too much. It was overboard and it just snowballed out of control. Um, you've got a manager who's inexperienced. Um, he's going into a big job and you like to think you'll get time, but it was almost, just, you know, jumped in them straight away and anything he did or he said or result-wise, it was just exaggerated. Um, and it was it was tough watching it unfold. Um, you know, I think I remember myself having to do an interview with Sky Sports regarding was it the Aberdeen game and you know they were saying that Craig was influencing you know things that was going on you know so you're you're having to go out there as a as one of his players and answer questions that I knew that they weren't true what was getting said you know because when you're in the dressing room you know what's going on and it, what was getting portrayed wasn't the case and it it was difficult and like I said I felt really really sorry for him at the time um at the same time um when he did leave you know I met up with him and you know he wanted to have a coffee because he wanted to learn the reasons why it didn't work out for him um which is testament to him that you know he was uh, man enough to to do that and and find out how he can improve in in the future it's it's interesting that you mentioned different styles there because you know in the lead up to that that derby in the Scottish Cup we you know we we had thrashed Rangers 4-1 then we went to Motherwell and won 3-0 so i mean obviously right away people are thinking wow i mean that that this team looks absolutely fantastic do you think yes you can you can be a quality football player and you, and you can play well in these kind of games but when you go into a derby it requires a different type of kind of character and a different type of player. And that's maybe what we, we lacked in the second half of that season. Yeah, I don't think that for all the, the derbies we've played in, a, I'm not sure what the number is off the top of my head, but I don't think I played in one good game. Yeah, it's it's, it's a totally different game. It really is. There's, there's so much quality on show. It's just pure blood, gut and thunder. You know, it's, it's just, touch you get you take a touch you know you're there's going to be a tackle coming in there's no there's no real quality on show in terms of it's just energy and it's just who can come out on top uh, that's what it is really you know they get the odd occasions when the game might die down in, in certain stages but for probably 75 80 percent of the game it's it's just all about who can outlast the other team it's like what you say you know that it was there were real physical games i guess what Hibbs's advantage over us maybe was the fact that they had a guy like John McGinn in there who could almost do both yep. sides of the game. And you had Bartley in there as well, who's a big physical presence. Do you think that's maybe where we, we that, that just, in the end, was the slight advantage they had over us? Just took the words out of my mouth. What I was going to say was that um, you talk about when the games are as physical as that, the sign of a real quality player is the one that can do the physical side and then show the quality to create the space. And it's no coincidence that now, you know, John McGinn's playing at the highest level in England and, and nationally because he does have that in abundance. You know, you laugh about him, you play against him, you know, he's got that big bum that he sticks into you and falls on the ball and, you know, but he's clever, he knows what he's doing. Um, 
and he creates space because he has got that sheer strength, low centre of gravity when he needs it, and then he's got the quality as well. Um, and you know, I've, I've, it doesn't um, bother me saying that about him because you know he's a player that I know well. I know his brother really well that I played with. And I know how much he's you know dedicated to the game. And even though I was a, playing against him a lot, I, I knew at the time I was playing against a quality player. Of course, Craig Levine came back to the club as manager. He was obviously there as director of football. And after Ian Cathro, what 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 changed under him? You know, you, you talked about different styles. Did it go back to being more like Robbie Nielsen's type style of play, or was it different again? Um, no, it was it was probably back to that sort of uh, Robbie Nielsen style, just in terms of leave nothing nothing on the pitch. You know, but you still had the influence of Austin, who'd stayed. Um, even though Ian had left, so you had the, like I say, then the sort of tactical side from him. You know, he was always trying to pick holes in the opposition and on how you can uh, get one, on, you know, over on the, the opposition. So you you still had the the wee sort of combination of it. I think he, he admits that he didn't want to take the job, but he almost got forced into it at the time. Um, and you know he he's he's one of those uh, people and managers who he wants to get the best out of his players, so he'll do what he can to do that, whether it's um, to reward you with time off, you know, etc. He's got a, a way of doing it, um, but it was definitely back to more of that Robbie Nielsen style of football. What 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 was Craig like in the lead up to derbies compared to? Um... Ian and Robbie, you know, I, I always get the sense that, that Craig's a sort of, he's almost like a typical fan. I, I that, That's the kind of the, the way I see him, you know. Um, I think there was an example in that game that, that we won, we'll, we'll get on to it in, in the Scottish Cup, um, where we had kind of ended Hibbs's sort of run against us. He was so pumped. You've seen him at the end. Um, what, what was he like kind of in the lead up to, to that game, for example? I think I think he definitely mellowed from when he came back um, in in that role the second time around. But you still knew that inside, it meant everything to him, like you say, to win that game. It wasn't in terms of coming in the in the dressing room and ranting and raving and trying to, you know, get you motivated because you didn't need that. Um, but you could tell that it was a quiet word walking around the dressing room in a calm manner. But you could see that the fire was in his belly, that how much it meant to him. Um, and like you say, the celebrations at the end and sort of said it all. And, you know, he, I think he had a great record against Hibs, uh, both as a player and a manager, and took, you know, great pride in that. Uh, after that game, I mean, you mentioned the celebrations there. Was was a lot of that relief because the fact that we hadn't beaten them for a few years and they they were kind of bigging up the fact that that you know they were close to getting ten or something. You you could hear them singing, you know, here we go, ten in a row and things like that. Does does that kind of just fire you up even more, or does it put more pressure on you as a player? No, I think you want to stop that run as quickly as you can, um, definitely, because it become it can become a a psychological thing in football. You know, you see certain teams have certain, you know, good records against certain teams because that's just what you go into it knowing that you've almost got one over them going in, you know, going into the game. So, like you say, you want to finish that run as quickly as possible. And that's why, you know, the, 
the celebration because how important we knew it was to to end that. And the fact it was another, you know, drawn again in the the cup, you know, three years on the trot, you know, if we'd gone out again to them, it would have been a disaster. Did did, did you just kind of think when the draw was made that it was almost like it was meant to be this time? You know, it was. I don't want to say third time lucky, but you know, we thought we've had two cracks of them at home. They they hadn't beaten us at Tynecastle for a very long time as well. Did, and obviously we had we had drew I think in, in midway through December uh, leading into that game. But was there kind of a sense that it was almost meant to be? No, because I thought that the year before. <laughs> <laughs> How did it feel to score the winner? It felt good because I was disappointed that I didn't play. Um, you know, the previous month we'd played. You know, the famous four 0 win against Celtic. Um, we played in that, and then we had three league games after that, and they were all. It was three nil nil draws, but it was three difficult games. It was St Johnston, Hibs, and then Aberdeen away just before the turn of the year. And I was, I think, probably one of the only players that played in every game. And you know, after the game, Craig sort of made a point in front of everyone to say, you know, brilliant to me because at my age to you know churn out the games and play in them all and. You know, I, I ended that year thinking, feeling very confident. Um, there's obviously a three-week break before the Cup. Um, and in the meantime, we signed uh, Nasey, who probably in a couple of them games, I played a bit further forward in terms of the formation. We're playing the 4-3-3, but I still felt I would play in the game just based on you know the praise that I'd received off the manager. Um, so, no, there was real disappointment. I wasn't starting. Um, but then once the game starts, it's it's not about me. You've got to put that aside, and you know I managed to come on with half an hour to go or something, and managed to just just get the the winning goal. Um, but it wasn't you know I wasn't it wasn't the fact that I scored. It was just the fact we'd won. Like we said, how important it was. It was late on in the game um, at home. It it was massive. Um, we didn't make the most of it in the next round, but you know, at the time, it felt it felt very special. I I, I can I can second that, and the fact it cost me eighty quid that night, and uh, and an Uber <laughs> fine due to the state I was in after this. So I, I can definitely back that up. Um, and in terms of of that kind of team itself, I mean, it was it looked like there was a kind of a better blend because there was a lot of characters in there. You know, guys like. Obviously, Nasey came in the second half of the season that you had yourself in there. But there was guys like Kyle Lafferty leading the line. Just how important was he to that team? Well, I think, um, you know, I think he, he was the first person since Robbo to score a certain amount of goals, wasn't he, in this season, which shows how important he was. Um, you know, I think we all know what Kyle's like as a person. He's um, He's good for the... Um, changing room, he's harmless, but you know he's full of devilment and and banter. Um, so you you had players like that, and you know he's a proven international goal scorer. So it was a real coup, you know, when we seen him coming in at the start of that season. We thought, you know, we've we've won a watch here with this with this signing. It was a a big signing. Um, again, looking back, we we underachieved with the with the players that we had. Your last derby was a 2-1 win at Tyncastle against Hibs. Was that in a way sort of leaving on a high for yourself? Looking back, it is. But at the time, I didn't think it would be 
um, my last derby, you know, in terms of I had no no intention of leaving the club. I still had a, a year in a contract. Like like I've said before, I loved it. You know, I just loved the environment uh, of the club, the people there. So I had no no intention of leaving. So I thought I was there for a for another year. It was just that you know a situation arose and I had an opportunity to come back to a club where you know I had great memories and a you know a real history with to end my career. And I just felt it was the right time in terms of for me and my family to go back to where we know and probably helped me go through that transition of of retiring from playing and and going into the the coaching side, which I had real aspirations to do. Um, you know, I'd started to do that while I was at Hearts, but, um, you know, being in my, my own environment where I know it, it just felt right and I wanted to, to help Ross County get back to the Premier League as a player and, you know, I had that, you know, sort of pulling me towards that. So it probably took me about four or five weeks to make that decision. That's how, how tough it was uh, because we were so settled at, at the club. But, you know, just looking at the, the bigger picture, it, it felt the right thing to do. I think Hearts have got a good chance beating Hibs at the weekend, Don? I think they do, but like I said, they'll, they'll need to be on their guard because in Nesbitt and um, Deutsch, it's it's a proper front two um, that you're playing against. That Two strikers that link up, two strikers that want to be in the box. It's no strikers that are you know, pulling out to wide areas to receive a ball. They want to be in the frame of the, the goal in the box, arriving to score goals and then if you can keep Boyle quiet, who we all know is on his day, is electric with his pace, um, that's key. But at the same time, I feel Hearts have got forward players who can hurt Hibbs' defence as well. Um, you know, they've got real quality. So, no, I'm, I'm really intrigued. I think it could be could be an excellent game. How how, how big an influence will have, uh, well, no fans be there? I mean, obviously Hearts have just kind of started, so they aren't properly used to it, but this will be the first big game without supporters do you think that that it'll play more of a a, a a bigger have more of an influence on hearts than hibs because hibs are a little bit more used to it yeah possibly i think it's it's going to be a it's going to be a strange in that sense anyway just because like I say when i think of the edinburgh derby you just think the atmosphere you know and it the, you think of the fans and the noise and um it might it might allow players to f- play with a bit of freedom. Like I say, it's been that hectic the games I played in because of the fans and the intenseness of it. It might just take the shackles off a wee bit, and it might become a bit more of a footballing match. Um, who that whose strengths that play to? You know, that's anyone's guess because, like I say, both teams have got excellent players but you know that could be the case it could be a high scoring game because there is so many good attacking players on the pitch Have you have you got a score prediction for us Don? Um, just on that I I think it, there could be goals in it so I'm going to go 3-2 to Hearts <laughs> I, don't, I tell you what I think my, my heart will not be able to take that one <laughs> Of course, Don, you've you've now retired and you're now coaching up at Ross County. How how has that been? It's been good. Um, you know, it was a decision I was I was always going to have to make it at some stage. Um, 
it came probably a wee bit sooner in terms of, you know, I still had a year left on my playing contract. I was playing last season. But I just think with the way everything was in the world with the with COVID and as a 37-year-old coming back to play at the start of the season, you know, when we first came back, you weren't, you were just basically coming out of your car and going straight on the training pitch um, and training. And when I was weighing all that sort of things up, I didn't think it was it was right for me. Um, you know, I'm at my age, and someone needs to take a bit of time just to to get on the pitch. You know, and and get yourself ready. It's only natural. And um, you know, real motivations having you know my wife and my kids at the game and not having that, and I just you know having the opportunity to to join the first team as a as a coach, I thought it was a it was a great great time for me and a great opportunity. And what's what's the long term aspiration? Is it is it to go into management? Yeah, I, I would you know I would love to at some stage. You know, I'm I'm only uh, five months into you know my first coaching role and in, in the first team, and I'm learning every day and and getting used to different aspects of it, but. You know, in the long term, I would I would love to have a go at it. Um, whether that um, opportunity arises or not is is a different question. But yeah, I would definitely like to put myself out there at some stage and and give it a go. Perfect. Well, I'm sure we I'm sure I speak for Ross as well. We'd love to see you at Hearts one day, and certainly yeah. all, all the best of luck there. Thank you very much. What a good interview that was with Don Kelly, Gordon. Yeah, brilliant. You know, I thought he was uh, he was fantastic to listen to. It was a pleasure to speak to him. Um, you can clearly, you, you know, obviously we, we we actually were were sort of Zoom calling him, so we managed to actually we we seen the the passion on him when he was speaking to us, and just how much I think he loved his time at Hearts and and how special a club it was to him. And you know, you you get a lot of players who who say that, and and it, I think it just shows you how big a club we are and and how fantastic. It can be if you get it right, and I think he was a, you know, I think it's fair to say he was a true cult hero with fans. Um, you know, he was unfortunate that he, he played in a couple of teams that that didn't quite live up to their hype. I think it's fair to say, um, and he admits that himself. But I think um, it was great insight to to see, you know, because it, you know if if you do look at that period in time, it was a, a very up in the air time for Hearts. You know, there was a lot of key moments that unfortunately didn't go our way. And and he talks about that as well, and it was a fantastic insight into the the managers he's worked under, and um and yeah, it was it was a pleasure to listen to. He, in many ways, he's a he's a model professional in in so many ways. I mean, he was speaking to us even before we started recording and after we started recording, asking us like how long we've been fans for and stuff like that. I mean, that is a complete touch of class, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think ever anybody that's that's worked with Don Kelly previously and um. You know anybody who knows him, I think they've they, they've alluded to that, and um, and it was clear clear to see that he's he definitely is a model professional, and he's he's a fantastic human being. So the the fact that he took time out his 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 day to, to speak to us as well was was tremendous. So um, yeah, I mean I thought he was he was a real role model at the club. I thought it was it was so interesting uh, to hear his insight when he was at um, when we asked him about why you know his thoughts on on not being made captain and. Um, it's really interesting because they're the sort of things that you don't hear about, um, and I thought it was uh, I thought it was very interesting. But it shows you just how much, and, and he said that how proud he was to wear the armband 
and it's it's you know as fans you you love to hear things like that we're going to move on and, and talk about sort of our best derby memories i mean one one for me had to be kevin kyle's last minute winner that that goal i still remember it. i still remember the cross coming in from novakovic and kyle's bullet header i think i think we were, we were close to going top after that result and after the after the uh, um the game obviously the newspapers put out pictures and there's, a, there's actually a picture of me and my dad going proper limbs my brother was with us that day as well i don't know where actually he went what what are some of your best derby memories gordon well we've we've been fortunate enough to have a fair few um I mean, it's you obviously think back to the the days of of the oh five oh six in particular. My first kind of standout memory though was the the five one win in two thousand and two, um, when Mark De Vries scored four. We were in the Gorgie end that day, and I can still to this day remember. Uh, I think the third one in particular because he, he almost half follows it and it goes straight in an empty net. Because Hibs had made it two one, they were putting on a bit of pressure. And um, and I can still remember it just going in the back and everybody just going absolutely wild. Um, the atmosphere that day was incredible. Um, and so so that was probably one of my earliest memories. I mean, that's I think my first derby that I can remember um, was actually a one-one draw maybe a couple of seasons before. Um, and it was the one when we were playing Hibs as Frank Sozi, and they actually equalised in the last minute and they broke all the the seats in the Roseburn end. And that's why they're discoloured. Um, so that that's a, obviously it wasn't a positive memory, but but I remember Hearts battering them that day, and, and they just couldn't get the second goal. And it, I think that just highlights just how unpredictable derby games can be. Um, but certainly the the five one win in two thousand and two, and then you know you, you you go back and you think, I always think the sweetest ones are are the ones where you're maybe up against the wall a little bit. And the I think that the biggest game when we were up against the wall would probably be the League Cup uh, quarter-final at Easter Road when Ryan Stevenson scored a worldie. You know, they absolutely battered us for the first 25 minutes. Jamie McDonald made some un- unbelievable world-class saves. They hit the bar, the post, they just couldn't get, you know, they just couldn't score. And then out of nowhere, Stevenson gets the ball. I think it must have been Hearts' first shot of goal. And it goes in and they must have just been thinking, how the hell has that happened? And we are just like, ha, 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 how the hell has that happened? Um, and then after that, it was comfortable in the end, really. And, and Hearts ended up, you know, winning four derbies that season incredibly. Um, the the 1-0 the win that season as well, uh, the first win, the first derby win that season, um, our first home game, you know, the fact that we went into it with a depleted squad, had to play with a lot of youngsters, Everybody was assuming that Hibs would come up and steamroll us. They had just spent two hundred grand on James Collins, and um, and that you know there was kind of a feeling that that this Hibs team were looking all right. They had beat us previously at Tynecastle um, towards the end of that season. Um, we had went in administration. You know, you probably couldn't have. You probably, could, you know, I think Hibs fans at that time would have seen maybe the tide turning. They would have thought, oh, finally, you know, we're we're going to be the team in the city. You know, Hearts look like they're they're finished. And we beat them one nil, and and that day was just incredible because you know, it's not often you go into a derby that you didn't think you would win, but uh, that that day you could be forgiven for thinking that, well, it might not go well this one, um, but it was it was a it was a sun kissed day at Tynecastle, Parsons header I can still remember the leap and it going in, and it was just you know, 
I just remember turning round and after we had kind of scored and just, you know, looking at the hip support and they just had it on their feet. They knew they were beaten after that goal. Um, so, yeah, so days like that, you know, I mean, there's there's so many memories and you just can't beat the feeling of scoring a derby goal. Um, you know, a, a lot of people say that they prefer it at Easter Road and it's sweeter when you go down there. Uh, obviously, Andy alluded to that when we were, we were chatting to him, but I, I actually think that I love a home goal. I don't know why it is, you know, I, I absolutely love a home goal. And I just think um, you, you can't beat beating them at Tynecastle and seeing them all walk out in the half, it's, it's great. The, the, the funniest derby in that season that you talk about in 2013 had to be the relegation party derby. The one where they could have relegated us and the classic thing happened. Hearts go and win. I mean, you couldn't write what happened that day. It was hilarious. Hibs fans came with confetti, party hats, everything for a for a real party to relegate Hearts. And then what what transpired was um, later in that later in that season, Hibs ended up getting relegated and went on this barren run afterwards. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I turned up at Ten Castle that day, and I wasn't really nervous to be honest. But I had absolutely zero doubts in my mind that we would win the game. Um, I know a lot of people didn't want to see Hibs relegate us at Tynecastle, but it wouldn't have been Hibs relegating us at Tynecastle. We, you know, we, it was a 15-point deduction in the end that relegated us. And, um, you know, I, I said it right at the start of the season that they were the worst team we'd played. And people would just go, ah, neighbor. Even when they'd beat us at Easter Road 2-1, um, you know, they, they got a late penalty. Um, and, and even that night, I said, listen, you're the worst team we've played. You will be in danger this season. And I think that win had actually put them kind of mid-table. But needless to say, they got dragged into a relegation battle and deservedly went down because they weren't good enough. And I think the Derby's highlighted that. Um, that 2-0 game in particular, you know, hearts were comfortable. I think, you know, Hibs had a goal ruled out. So, you know, you could you could argue that it was maybe the wrong decision. I don't think so. <laughs> That's maybe my heart's tainted spectacles on. But I think... Um, that that particular day, I just felt that the Hearts would win the game, and 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 we did, and and it was a, you know, it was a, it was a bittersweet season because obviously we we did go down, but we went down in style, if you know, if if you could say that, and um, you know, fifteen point deduction, young depleted squad, there wasn't really a hope in hell that Hearts would have managed to to stay up that season, but they gave it a a, a good go, they had a barren run in the middle of that season, which unfortunately cost us, where we just couldn't quite uh, get on top. But when it clicked, and, and the Derby games, I think, were, were huge in that. And it just showed you the passion and the talent of, of those young guys. And um, and the whole club came together uh, for those games. And it was, um, yeah, those those will always be special memories Those those um, during that season and those wins. Obviously, the, the pinnacle derby for, for any Hearts supporter was that 5-1 win at Hamden, glorious day in May. You know, I, I don't think I've ever had a day as nerve-wracking but as easy as that watching Hearts. Um, my, my my good mate that we had went to the game with, um, and I'm sure he won't mind me telling this story either, because um, it was certainly one of his finest moments. We we walked into Ladbrokes on, on the morning of the game our coach was leaving from Gorgie Road. Must have been about, I don't know, eight o'clock, half eight in the morning, something like that. Place is full of Hearts fans, obviously, all getting ready to go through to, to the final. 
all getting their coach buses and uh, we went into Ladbrokes and I always remember to this day him turning around and saying, uh, five one hearts today. And we just went, aye, aye, neighbor, aye, neighbor. He goes, I'm telling you, it's gonna be five one. So yeah, shut. He says, I'm putting on who's who's with me, lads? Who's who's who, we all put our money in and we just went, No, I'd I'd rather spend it on something more useful like a, a pine. Well, he was the one laughing in the end, seven hundred and fifty quid he got from the bookies. Um, but ironically, when we were actually when the fifth went in, you know, I I was going mental. He just stood there gobsmacked. He could not believe it went in. But then Hearts won the ball and attacked, and he went screw the bet, cut a six, come on. <laughs> so I think that just maybe just sums up the the, the derbies um, that sometimes they they are more than just money. And of course, our guest Andy Webster was a part of that 5-1 winning team. In part two of his interview, he talks about his second spell at the club and that 2012 cup run. Of course, you re-signed for Hearts in 2011. You know, after a few injuries, it was sort of stop-start in your career, sort of after you left Hearts. Do you think that was the right time to return? As you say, things didn't work out particularly well during that period, but to get the opportunity to come back, I think people... <laughs> I was fortunate enough that I was able to come back because sometimes you don't appreciate what you've got until it's gone. So for me to get another opportunity to come back and also the manner in which I left was probably quite difficult circumstances for everybody connected with the club. And to go back was probably challenging. I didn't feel it personally, but probably from other people would have looked at it and gone, I'm not so sure that's maybe the right thing to do um, because of circumstances and whatever. But no, I knew what the club meant to me and I knew what the club stood for and I was also grateful to Jim Jeffries to bring me back to the football club and I had no, no hesitation. What, what, what did, did Jim say to you when, when he, he obviously got in touch and said that, that he wanted to bring you back? Because I, I think, am I right in saying that Hibs offered you a deal as well? Yeah, during that period of time, I think it was the end of the transfer window and I'd spoke to Walter Smith and he's like, yeah, Hibs would like to take you and this was like transfer deadline day and it totally came out of the blue. And obviously, during the period, I hadn't played much football, so footballers tell you you, you want to play. Um, so obviously, things worked out that after the transfer window, I had a couple of conversations, but I was never in doubt. I'd like to generally think that quite courteous with stuff, so if people want to speak to me, I'm, I'm willing to do that. But as soon as I knew that Hearts were interested, um, there was only one. there was only ever going to be one option. What was it like working under Jim Jeffries and Billy Brown? Brilliant. Brilliant. Great guys, obviously. Probably slightly different, but very similar in the fact that having a manager who knows what it means to be at the football club, um, had, having had success at the football club, and just people don't need to talk overly much. Obviously, I'd spoke to the manager a few times, and but you just, you just know. Do you know when you've been brought up? You've been at the club, you just know that people like Jim Jeffries and Billy Brown, what it means to them. And I think you always feel that sense of responsibility towards them and you don't want to let these people down. Um, and obviously, probably during that period as well, like Lockie was about and the coaching staff as well. Um, so you just, when you get, and it didn't have to be fair, it wouldn't have to be with me, but when it gets hammered home every day, what it means, you know, like how things are going, at Hearts and how things are maybe not so going at Easter Road. You just become accustomed to it and, um, and that's the world that you live in. Was it a bit of a regret that you didn't get to play for them for a longer period? Yeah, I, th I think so because ultimately when you sign for a football club, yes, you sign for the football club, but you're also signing for the manager as well. Now, I've had conversations with, with Jim Jeffries and 
loved what he said about the football club, loved how he thought the direction of the football club was going to go. Um, so you're always sad and I always felt real disappointment when any manager either lost their job or had to leave the football club for whatever reasons. I always, always found that a really challenging period um, during my football career at any any level or any team I'd played at. You, felt, you feel a sense of responsibility towards these people, especially if they brought you to the football club. Um, and you know, ultimately, the job that you're doing on the pitch is not good enough, and the sacrifices that the manager has to has to pay for these is is not a nice feeling as a football player. 2011-12 was quite stop-start to say the least. But we won all the derbies that season. What what was Paulo Sergio like when the lead up to the derby matches and the big games? Very good, different mentality coming from a different country. We worked in a different manner. Um, but always, I always felt, he always said he would do his work during the week. So we would work on certain aspects of play, how we were going to function as a team, what we we're going to do to sort of um, expose the opposition. And he always was quite calm on the match day. He was never too much talking and chatting. He would always say, my preparation's done during the week. We'd have a little video analysis meeting for no more than five minutes, just certain types of movement and whatever else. But it was always quite calm and, yeah, I suppose you're always quite calm until a point and then the referee blows a whistle and you're like, right, all that calmness is out the window and we're, uh, we're into the heat of the battle. So, no, he, he was he was great. He had a great passion for it, which was nice. He obviously understood what it meant, which was also great. And, no, it was just, he was he was, uh, he was he was good to work for. He uh, had the sort of quirky bits as well and being Portuguese, but, no, it was... was was I looking back now quite methodical with his approach to football and his attention to detail was very good, which I liked. Probably didn't appreciate it as much as what I do now being a coach, but no, I thought he was he was very professional and not just him but his backroom staff as well. So no, we uh, and obviously part of his backroom staff was Lockie as well. So if you if you're ever needing any reminder of what it means to play in an Edinburgh Derby, just you just need to spend about five seconds in Lockie's company to know exactly what it means. It's it's quite interesting you say that that um, obviously Paulo knew, knew what it meant and I was going to kind of uh, ask about Gary Locke because for example we went to obviously Tottenham um, we're five 0 down from the first leg but it would have been easy for you know Paulo to play strongest team that night and try and get a result against Spurs just for the the glory of saying we've went down and won at Spurs but he prioritised the derby was was that did that come from Paulo himself or was that kind of Gary Locke in his ear going listen there's a bigger game on Sunday. Yeah, I, th- I think, if I, obviously, the, the games against, these games when you play in European football against the likes of Tottenham and stuff are an added bonus for your hard work that you've done the previous season to qualify. And if I remember being at, down at Spurs, I'm sure like people like Gordon Smith played. Um, Jamie McDonald made a great save from a penalty. And obviously, Tottenham had changed their team around as well. They'd, they'd gone from having all the big hitters to, to playing, playing the slightly less, but still big hitters. Um so no, these things are great experiences, and these, I think, when you're a footballer, when you play in these big games, it's easy. You just go from one to the next, to the next, to the next. So if it's European game at Tottenham, then you're in an Edinburgh derby. This, this is what you live for as a football player. Um, but as I said here, like well, Lockie's, um even for Lockie, his his stats in an Edinburgh derby were ridiculous for a period of time. I don't think he'd ever lost up until whatever time, and I'm sure it was like over twenty games. Yeah. Um, so. Even when you hear these stats as well, you're like, oh, better not lose tonight. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's, and as I said to you, probably people like Craig Levine, Jim Jeffries, 
blocky as well. See, see, when they've got that in them and it means so much to them, you feel like you can't let people, and, well, I can only speak for myself, but you feel like you can't let these people down because ultimately it's the be all and end all for these people. Um, and it is for the players as well, but when you see that in the back, and the problem is for like people like Lockie at that stage, they can't do too much about it. They just have to stand on the sidelines and, and fingers crossed that the boys can go out and, and do the job. And that's a difficult role as well to, to do that. But no, I think, as I say, it's easy. When you know and you know what it means to people and you've been there before and you've seen it for a period, it's, it's not easy, but it is easy because you just know what it means and you know what it takes. Of course, she scored two Edinburgh Derby goals that season. One at Tincastle, one at Easter Road. How 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 did that how did that feel? I know winning the game is good, but scoring a goal and making that contribution how how did that feel? Scoring in a two 0 win and a three one win. I can remember. I think I can remember the one at Tincastle. And I think Gowser tried to steal it from me. I think it was it was Edgar Johnson. I think it was Beggy. Uh, yeah. It was normally Gowser. He likes to put him in half a yard out. Um, but yeah, I could. Uh, these are the added bonuses, and as I say, these, I don't know, I don't know exactly, but I know I probably scored a large majority of my goals against Hibs, um, which maybe not as many as Robo, but I've scored a handful of goals, so uh, it's nice to contribute to that side of things. It's the bit that you don't overly expect as a defender, but when these things come along, um, uh, it's, it's a great feeling. As I say, I've been fortunate enough to score at Easter Road a few times, so... To get that, to get that feeling, and to, especially if it, if it's a contribution to the game and it's significant, whether it's getting back into it or winning or whatever it is, it's it's one of these things that lives long in the memory. Where you uh, you can always it's a feather in your cap. What 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 a finish that was, by the way, that that goal that you scored in three one. Did, did did you know exactly what you were doing when you got the ball in the box? Yeah, just just like an instinct. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I, I remember it being a long throw. Um, and the ball just falling to me in the box, and you just you hit it. It just is it is instinctive. Um, the bit that probably gets replayed the most is probably my other bit of skill at Easter Road, where I flick the ball up and twist it around, and then hit it. My my kids generally every so often say, "Oh, Dad, look, look what we found." I'm like, "Yes, Dad, Dad was uh, had one bit of skill in his whole career." <laughs> um, but as I say, like these things, when you see and you know when you hit the ball or you head the ball or whatever, and you know it's going in, you're like. Oh yes, here we go. It, um, which is a great and that bit after. Sometimes it's hard to keep your composure, and if you're not a regular goal scorer, sometimes you kind of get lost in the moment. And then after you go, I don't even know what I was doing. So um, yeah, which is which is a which is a nice feeling. Um, but aye, so as I say, being able to score and contribute is is uh, is always is has been nice. On, on on that team as well, I just I just want to go on to, to Rudy, for example. You played with him the first time and he was more of kind of a left midfielder. And then when, when, when you came back the next time, he was more sort of played as kind of a, a, a cam, but also a second striker or he just done whatever he wants, really. But um, do, do you feel that he was better second time round or do you think he was he was better the first time? I think you. I think you'll find, regardless of what position Rudy started off as, he always found himself <laughs> just in and around the edge of the box. Um, not a, amazing contribution on the pitch, but a great human being off it as well. And just sometimes you, you're probably lucky or fortunate enough when you get players of that ilk to come to the football club and they just take it like a duck to water. His contribution was hugely significant. 
and the fans appreciated that and really appreciated the fans as well. And it, it worked hand in hand. It was a, it was a, it was a great relationship to see. Um, and his contribution the first time was ridiculous. His goal scoring at the start of that season, I think he'd beat or equaled Henrik Larsson's record for consecutive games scoring goals. So that's what I mean. He wasn't really a left winger. He was more, <laughs> more just uh, tucked in. And he had an unbelievable shot with his left foot. Unbelievable. The amount of power he could generate in that left foot. Didn't even have to be overly accurate, but the pace in which he hit that ball would just take it past the goalie quite quite easily. So he always had a knack. And, and this is what I said about you need your top players to produce. And he had a significant contribution, not just the first time, but the second time as well. And and rightly gets all the plaudits to go with that. In terms of of Rudy himself, though, did I've heard he's quite a, he was quite a calm sort of character, and he didn't really say too much. But then as soon as he goes on the park, he just did. He, was he somebody that, that fed off the atmosphere? Yeah, of course he was brilliant. And I always remember at Tyne Castle and the fans like singing his name or shouting his name, and and the game would be going on, and Rudy would be um, he'd be acknowledging the crowd, the crowd would be acknowledging him, and I'd be like Rudy. We're still playing football here, do you know that type? But uh, he was, and, and right as I say, rightly so. I, I, I would say a great human being had real leadership qualities, but probably, yeah, he would definitely say what he had to say, but he wasn't always screaming and shouting. His, his, his leadership qualities would have been slightly different. His contribution on the pitch, how he conducted himself as a professional footballer, how he helped everybody else along the way as well. So he showed... He showed real leadership skills um, whilst he was at the football club. And, and these are the kind of things that drags everybody along with him as well. Obviously, that season, we've, we've alluded to it being sort of stop-start. Was it a point where the management team and the players thought, we're quite far in the cup, let's focus on the cup? I, th- I think it's always a good thing to be able to focus on for the next bit. So if you get through a round of the cup and then, I don't know, it's a few weeks in advance, always gives you a little added incentive to make sure that your league form's good going into that because ultimately for players individually or collectively as a group, you want to be involved in the next one. And ultimately during that period of time, the cup competitions would have been seen as ultimately an opportunity to win silverware. Um, And I get the fact it was a, a bit of a turbulent season or it was a turbulent, not a bit, it was turbulent for the players and for the club off the pitch as well. So to go through what they did, and to be able to get to the end and and get to a cup final was a testament, not just to the players and the coaching staff, but the, the club as a whole. See the people in the backroom staff, worked in offices at Tyne Castle, like unbelievable contribution to the football club. And this is what I mean, when you get to a club like that and you see what it means to people, and these are not just at the forefront, I probably said quite a lot of people like Goggs, who's the kit man, Claire Cowan, who's been there for a period of time, Shelley, who's been there for a period of time, people like Scott Wilson, people who've been there for a long period of time and been through the mill and up and down the roller coaster twice, you know, that type of way. So when you see see these things, it's always nice to be able to give a little bit back because you're the one on the pitch who can have a contribution to hopefully making these people happy. So, yeah, it was a, a real turbulent time. And, of course, we're taken to two replays through the rounds on, on the lead-up to the final. One game I remember quite vividly is the Auchinleck-Talbot game. I think we won 1-0, and Auchinleck sort of battered us at the end. But I suppose it's just about getting through these games. That was torture. I kind ended up playing centre-back with Blackie for a period of time during that game. Uh, I, that, that was really difficult. I think 
when you play against opposition that you're, you're not familiar with, it can be really difficult because they have a different style of play. You're unsure of how... Obviously, we have a, a bit of an awareness about them, but yeah, these, these things were really difficult. And I do remember that game quite vividly as well, where I thought, this is really hard. It was really challenging. And I think it was Gog Smith yep. that scored the goal to get us through as well. And I'm sure they might have had the, something chalked off for offside. And we were a little <laughs> bit all over the place at the end. And circumstances could have been totally different. It might have been it'd be probably one of the worst results in the club's history. Um, so, no, I think from that point of view, Sometimes when you you don't people don't look too far back in these cup competitions, but when you look back and analyse that, you say that was a really, really, really difficult game, really difficult. See, see when you go through moments like that and games like that and cup competitions in particular, do you sometimes start believing that your name's on the cup? You know, like Ross said, we we had went through two replays that season. One of them at St Johnston, they had literally took the lead with I think five minutes to go, but yet we still ended up winning the game in extra time. Do, do, you know, the longer that goes on, do you, do you, you know, and when these semi-finals and the finals come up, do you believe, do you look back on these moments and go, yeah, that this was almost meant to be? I think so. I think when you get fortunate circumstances, so probably quite fortunate against Lock and Leck, getting, you probably sometimes think with the St. Johnston game, you're like, well, we are going out and then we're not going out. So your, your expectations change quite quickly and you go, oh, by the way, you, you never quite know. And I think that's a good thing about cup competition. You never quite know. You always need a little bit of luck. People tell you that all the way. Um, yeah, you need these these little things to go for you during the game of football to get you to the next round. And the, the longer it happens and the more games you get through like that, the more you start to go, there's every opportunity here that we might be able to do something. I think it was Mary Zalukas that scored the winner that day. He was obviously your defensive partner that season. What was he like? Yeah, brilliant. And I don't, I can remember him scoring. I can't remember how his goal was, but I just thought, thank, thank goodness for that. Um, but Maris was excellent as well. Obviously, spent a long period of time at the football club, captain in the football club, um, having sort of centre half partnership with him as well. Probably, I think Maris might have been slightly younger than me, but similar ages and similar mindset and whatever else, and sort of a good partnership. I enjoyed playing with Marius. Um, he was very, very good. He was good in the air. He was good with the ball at his feet. He um, liked defending as well, put his head in. So, no, I really enjoyed playing with Marius. I thought he was very good. Um, and another one who'd spent a long period of time at the football club and just, you become accustomed and you know what it means and you just, you bec- it just becomes your, your way of life after a period of time. And in terms of Marius, you know, because, I mean, I suppose it's very easy for um, kind of you know, some of the foreign lads coming in and maybe not getting accustomed to the culture and they just see it as they're only here for a couple of years and that's it. I mean, Marius, I think, spent something like seven years at Hearts and he almost... Did, did he embody the club? What Almost similar what sort of Rudy done. Um, you know, I, I remember him doing his interview and on the pitch after we had won the cup and he was coming out and saying things like, I and Ken. Did he just, did he just take to Hearts like a duck to water? Yeah, I think you, you generally tend to find that when sort of foreign players come over swearing, and then it's a local, then it's a local dialect. It's <laughs> probably the first two things that they nail down. So no, I think that you have to, you have to, if you're going to a different country and playing in a different way, you have to, you have to embrace that culture. And the people who are successful generally tend to embrace it. And Marius definitely did that. Um, yeah, and I always remember him saying, "Aye, aye." 
as I say, it just becomes a way of life and they become accustomed to it and that's, and that's the manner in which they, they go about their business. And he was excellent, as I say, on and off the pitch. Um, captain of the football club for a period and also ultimately lifted the Scottish Cup, which, which is not many people get the opportunity to do. So no, great for him. And as I say, his contribution to the football club was significant. Scottish Cup semi-final in 2012, we got Celtic. What was the preparation like before that game? I know the first half we sort of played sort of more defensive and tried to contain Celtic. What was the, the sort of mentality, you know, going into the, the second half? What was the team talk like before the second half? Probably just one of, I think with these, when you play the old firm, you're always waiting for your one opportunity and you generally tend to get these. Um, but I think with the team that we had, during that period as well, we were always kind of back our talent to create an opportunity or score a goal, but you're always kind of worried because of the firepower that they have as well. So there's a fine balance that we start. Probably at the start, you're always looking to say, just stay in the game and the longer the game goes, the more you think, right, when's our opportunity going to come? And if they haven't created overly much, they're always probably a nagging doubt in the back of their mind. Mm, what happens if they go up the pitch once, they get a set play, free kick corner, whatever it may be, and they lose the goal. So I think, as I say, with the quality we had in that team, we were always kind of hopeful of getting an opportunity to score a goal. Um, so, yeah, that's probably probably just trying to stay in the game as long as you possibly can and, and wait for your opportunity. And when it comes, you definitely need to take it. Because, as you say, it's the easy bit to go to places like that and and you lose 1-0 or you lose 2-1 and people pat you on the back and say, oh, you're really unlucky. I used to find that so patronising. used to drive me nuts. I think sometimes it's having that self-belief when you go out in the pitch and, and trusting yourself and trusting your teammates to go out and say, do you know what, we are a good team. We function well as a team. We've got good individual players and we will get opportunities. Now, it's always extremely difficult and it's always a major achievement if you can go out and do these things. But... Ultimately, you have to have the belief. Is that I suppose that kind of works the, the same then for, for example, you know, the, uh, our team in 2012 when we were in the semi-finals and the finals. Yeah, it's, it's, it's probably a large part of that. Momentum's huge in football. See, if you've got momentum, everything just seems to go your way. See, when you don't have it, everything seems to go the opposite way. And I know that's quite cliched in football, but it generally tends to be true. You know, you, you could be performing not particularly well, and then you score a last-minute winner and people go, yep, that's them just keeping that momentum going. Or it could be on the other side of things where you're going, we've had so many opportunities, we've not scored any goals, we've given up one chance or even half a chance and we've lost the goal and we've lost the game. And you go, how does these things happen? So momentum's crucial in football and that also comes from, ultimately through hard work, a little bit of luck and having that confidence. And once that confidence builds, it just seems to flow and on the flip side of that as well, see when things don't go your way, just you just everything you try just does not seem to come off. And the harder you try, the worse it can get. And sometimes it looks maybe from the naked eye where you go, Oh, they don't look like they're trying, or they look like they've given up. But sometimes you, you can try I know it sounds really sh- stupid, but sometimes you can try too hard to try and get things to work for you and it just nothing seems to work. Do you think that's what happened to that Hibs team then in, in, in the, the 2012 final? I mean, obviously, we you know, we, we were just superior to them that day but um, and that season, obviously. But do, do you think that's kind of what happened to them? Because, I mean, obviously, the, there's no danger they wanted to lose the game. But a lot, of, a lot of Hibs fans kind of point fingers at certain players and say, you know, they didn't, they didn't try and they didn't care and all this sort of thing. But... Do you think what happened there was they were just trying to, you know, the, the, the weight of history was on them and they were just trying too hard? 
I, I, I would never, I, I could never imagine anybody getting to a cup final and not trying hard. I don't think you could probably label that any player. Sometimes, ultimately, 22 players go out on the pitch and 22 players want to be the best player on the pitch at any given game. So you don't always get that. Um, and I think during that period and during that season, we'd obviously showed our quality and not that I stated too loudly before that cup final, but I genuinely believed that if we were at a good level in that final, we would we would win that game of football. I had a real genuine belief in that because I thought we are, we are a better team than them. And it just so happened it transpired that way um, on that day, which was great. We, some boys excelled in that environment. I always remember like people like Andrew Driver, probably one of the best games I've seen him playing. And this is what I'm saying. You need In these big games, you need your big players to step up. Um, and obviously we, we did that and we had players playing at a really high level, people who played at the top of their game on that day and that's what you need in these circumstances to win to win trophies see see, see when you're playing in a game like that um you know obviously everyone in the crowd is absolutely nervous excited but nervous do as soon as you sort of as soon as the game kicks off and you know what Hamden's like it's quite an open ground is it just white noise after that do you, do you actually even hear the crowd no, not overly. I think because you just get so focused in the game. Maybe occasionally, if there's a break in the game, you have a little sort of break in concentration. But for me, it just becomes not even background noise. You don't generally tend to hear it. You're just focused on your job and what you have to do. Obviously, things like goals change games and the atmosphere erupts and whatever else. But you generally, you just generally tend to focus on your job. Um, and it's probably the bit leading up to it. You you feel the atmosphere building when you arrive at the stadium. You walk out for like sort of pre-match walk around the, the, the pitch and whatever else you get that sense of a big occasion and when you walk out for the match at the start the kickoff comes about and you feel the atmosphere just goes through the roof and you go and then it kind of settles down and you go right it's time to do your job so i suppose it would have helped having a half empty hand in anyway for the second half yeah I distinctly remember turning around after the goal at the start of the second half and thinking there's not many people left <laughs> Did he gain confidence, though, from the way he's got to that final, though? I mean, scoring a last-minute winner against Celtic um, from the penalty spot and the way you got through the replays, etc. I think when you get to a semi-final and you're playing one of the old firms, people out with generally tend to expect the old firm will win. And sometimes you find that people see that as their cup final. So when they do get to the final, it doesn't always materialise that way either because they feel like they've achieved something in the semi-final. But I think the easy bit for us is also playing self, not easy, but in terms of like mindset-wise, it was easy enough to go from putting out Celtic to an Edinburgh derby, which obviously the history goes with it, Hibs having not won it for a period of time and a long period of time. You just, it's, the focus is there from the outset. You just have that real sharp focus and go, no, I'm clear on what I need to do. So no, I think in terms of focusing on what was required, it was, Quite easy. Obviously, the games can be slightly different to that, but I think it might have been different if it had been a different opposition. But everything that went with that, um, it was kind of easy enough to focus on. Did did had the fact that they hadn't won it for so long, and the fact that they were playing Hearts, did that ever kind of um, bear on you guys' minds, or or was it the case that you were even more determined to to, to actually win the game? Not that you need any more motivation, but did, did it ever kind of pop into anyone's sort of team talks or, or anything like that? 
I don't I don't think we f- focused overly much on anything like that. These are probably a bit like people's records and goal scoring records and derby records and whatever else. These are like secondary. Um, it wasn't lost on us because obviously the media attention around and the build up to a cup final is significantly high. So you're aware of these things, but ultimately you can only control what happens on the football pitch. And if you do that job, you do that bit correctly, then you don't need to worry about the next bit. Do you think it was quite fitting that Rudy Scatchel scored his last goals for Hearts in that game? Yeah, yeah. And 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 as when you talk about fairy tales and a nice way to end things and whatever else, sometimes for footballers you don't get that. But so for Rudy to be able to play on one of the biggest stages, I'm sure, of his career and, and probably all of our careers, um, and to be able to do what he did just typifies Rudy. Um, and just his, uh, his goal scoring abilities, as I say, is, is ridiculous and a real significant contribution on and off the pitch. How did it feel to lift the cup? I think when you're a young young human being and you love football, you watch the Scottish Cups on a regular basis, you see it and you go, yeah, see, when I'm older, I'd love to be able to do that. So, yeah, I think sometimes it can be quite emotional, a sheer sense of relief. All the emotions probably go through it. Probably think, what happens if we didn't do this? I think I always tend to find if you don't do particularly well, it 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 lingers with you more than the winning part of it, if that makes sense. You win and you go, that's great. Love that achievement. Brilliant. I always think, like even when you talk about the 2013 Cup final, that probably doesn't sit with me anywhere near as sort of on the spectrum of going, beating Hibs, unbelievable achievement. Not beating St Martin probably has a, a, a bigger impact on me. I probably look at that more than what I would win in. Um, so I think from... Yeah, just an unbelievable feeling. I think probably one of sheer delight and one of sheer relief as well, going, if this hadn't materialised the way it had, then we're going to be associated with this for the rest of our life. <laughs> what were the celebrations like? Brilliant. I think, if I remember correctly, and it happened to me previously as well, after the game I had to go and do a drugs test, so I missed out a little bit in the changing room after, which is generally like a good bit. Um or people getting absolutely drenched. But um, no, I think in terms of going back to Tyne Castle at night, just spending time with people that, people who have helped you get to where you've got to, whether it's your wife, your kids, your parents, other family members, friends, your teammates, their families and friends as well. And you just, there's a collective there because you know everybody's gone through something to get to that point. And it's just an appreciation for everybody just saying people have had a contribution to it, whether it's on the pitch or off the pitch, at home, whatever it may be. It's 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 a moment to share with everybody. Um, yeah, and it's, it's probably for football players giving a little bit back to the family because being a football player, you have to be quite selfish in your approach to things, your dedication. You miss out on quite a lot of family life stuff. So... To be able to give a little bit back and allow them to share share the moment with you as well is is uh, is one of these kind of finer things in life. I suppose what what's your kind of predictions for for this weekend then, and and your thoughts on the current Hearts team? I think obviously I watched them against Dundee. They had a great result. Scored some unbelievable goals. 
and probably functioned really well. Obviously, being from Arbroath and watching the game last week, I was hoping for 0-0. <laughs> uh, and Arbroath did exceptionally well. Um, probably, to be fair, maybe could have created or did create one or two chances to score goals. I think with the, the Cup game coming up, probably suit Hearts a little bit more, I would have thought, because I think Hibs... Well, it'll be quite, an, I would have thought, an open game of football where both teams will think that they can win, which maybe suits Hearts a little bit more, probably quite similar to Dundee. Dundee thought they could go to Tynecastle and win. They probably played quite an open game of football, and I think Hibs will play an open game of football for as much as it's the semi-final of a cup. They'll, they'll fancy their chances, and I'm sure Hearts will as well. So I think regarding that as well, it, sh- it should make for a good cup competition. It should hopefully make for a good spectacle as well. So... I think the Hearts team at this moment in time have got a good basis. Unbelievable going, Craig. So these are the kind of things I said to you before. When Hibs go into the pitch and they look down our end and think they see Craig and goal, they'll go. Whether they do or whether they don't, they'll go, and that's not going to be easy beating him. Do you know, like he's an unbelievable goalkeeper. And as I said, Hearts, obviously, they have experience. With people like I know, obviously Nazi's not been involved directly in the games as well, but that experience and know-how, what it means. Craig Halkett, captain in the team, the centre half, Smith at right back, people who have got a bit of experience and a bit of know-how and a bit of to me from the outside looking in, like a calm a calmness and a reassurance which you need in these games um of football. And obviously People like Boyce up front who can score goals. Whiten scored goals at the start of the season as well. Took his took his goal brilliantly um, on Friday night. So I think there's a real positive outlook for Hearts going into the game, and I'm sure Hibs will be looking at it the same. So I think hopefully, hopefully it's a good entertaining game of football. But we'll obviously, know which outcome we'd all prefer. <laughs> and just just finally, Andy, sorry. Um... I mean, you're, you're coaching at the moment. Have you got aspirations to go into management? Yeah, potentially further down the line. As I'm, I'm enjoying my role at St Martin, dealing with the sort of development squad and, and trying to give them an opportunity in football that I've been lucky enough to have to try and pass on some experience and some knowledge and give them an opportunity to get to get to the levels that they want to get to, which would be great. I think try to give a little bit back um, to them and, and hopefully... Yeah, bring through the next sort of generation of St Murn players, which the academy's got a good reputation for doing. So, no, I was trying to give these players, as I say, a little bit of something that I've had because I know as much as you experience some of the lows in football, some of the highs you get, money can't buy these things. So, to give that to, or trying to give them the opportunities is uh, something that I've been enjoying recently. Perfect. Well, obviously, we, we wish you all the best and uh, hopefully, maybe see you back at Tynecastle one day. <laughs> Thank you. That was an awfully good interview with Andy. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, you know, he's uh, again similar to Don, an absolute gentleman. Uh, took time out of his day to come and speak to us. And, um, you know, he's, he, I think he, he says it himself, you know, he was fortunate enough to spend two fantastic periods at the club. He got to see kind of the weird and wonderful. Uh, playing for Hearts, and um, he was a fantastic centre-half, fantastic servant to the football club. Um, he had his ups and downs, but, I mean, it's, uh, you know, he'll never be forgotten for that that Scottish Cup win, and, um, yeah, just, just a fantastic centre-half, and it was great to, to listen to his thoughts on not just Hearts, but football, 
and um, and and the way he, um, you know, just the the way he clearly looks back on his time at Hearts with so much positivity, um, and it would be easy for I think people to gloss over the that period when he left, and you know there was a bit of kind of um, you know there was controversy about the way he left and stuff, but um, the fact that he actually came back to the football club and performed so well won the Scottish Cup, I think it just shows you that um, things can change very quickly in football and in football fans' minds. Because uh, I, I remember being at Tannadice when he made his debut for Dundee United and it was against Hearts and he got a fair bit of slack from the Hearts support that day. Um, and it, so it would be easy for someone to maybe hold a grudge against the football club, but he didn't. And it just showed you that he, he, rem- he remembered what a football club it was, came back, and he was a fantastic servant. And... Um, and honestly, I, I I don't think any Jambo would would grudge seeing him come back one day. What what struck struck me about Andy was when he was chatting about you know winning the cup being more than just winning the cup on to to for the players you know it being about you know the fans, the the staff, the people that had got him there. I think that was the quote. You know, he he seems a very humble sort of guy. Yeah, very down to earth. I certainly I certainly got that vibe very very early on. Um, you know, he's he's somebody who who got it, you know, and and he says himself, he, you know, he he's not from Edinburgh, so he's not a local lad, came from Arbroath, um, but he's sort of he's a prime example of a player embodying what the football club is, coming from outside in and and just being the right fit at the football club, and um, you know, he certainly he, he understood just what it meant, and I think when you are at a club like Hearts, which is a massive club, of course, but it still has that sort of family feel um and i don't mean family in the sense that you know it's you, you know you, you take away the passion and all that sort of thing it's a family in the sense everybody loves the club that much through the good times and the bad they never walk away and give up on the football club and um you know when the good times come along you can't you can't beat them obviously moving towards the semi final um that we've got coming up is this a chance for Robbie Nielsen to redeem himself? And is this a chance for him to finally right those wrongs that happened in his spell before? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, I think it's sometimes a lot of people dismiss coincidences when it comes to football. But, you know, the, the ironic thing is that he was defined during his first spell, which let's not forget was a very successful spell especially when you, you match that up against his predecessors. Um, and, and the fact that instead of remembering a manager that took us from the championship to then into Europe within uh, two years, I think just shows you how significant that game in the Scottish Cup was when we were 2-0 up and Hibs come back. And I, I don't think it was necessarily the fact that we had, we had lost out to Hibs. I think it was the manner that we had lost and, and what transpired after the fact that there were a championship side, um, we were 2-0 up, so comfortable in the game, and then we throw it away and then lose at Easter Road and they go on and win it. Um, I think that's what didn't sit right with a lot of fans. Um, because, I mean, listen, you know, you've got it. Part of being a football supporter is having to sit back, unfortunately, and sometimes your rivals will win things. Um, 
but it's never nice. And I think when a record like what Hibbs's was and the way it was poked fun at and things like that, you know, a lot of fans just couldn't con- contribute. They couldn't see them winning, winning the trophy, and and the fact that we had the chance to stop that and didn't uh, didn't sit well with, with the fans. So I don't think anybody's more frustrated about that than Robbie Nielsen. I think you know he's he's not he's not a stupid man. He he knows exactly the significance that that result had, and I think the fact he, he's alluded to it since he come in. You know, he, he's even said, "Listen, you know, I you know, he had this in so early training. Um, you know, we've had like thirteen well, 13-odd games since then, you know. I don't think for a minute he would have had hearts in so early if we didn't have the semi-final coming up. I think he would have brought us in at an appropriate time, maybe, you know, three, four weeks down the line and just to win the championship. I think he's he's seen this game as soon as he's come back and he's thought, listen, that, there's a real opportunity for me here to cement my legacy as as one of the, the sorry, a great hearts manager. And not only that, it will give him the chance to, um, you know, put put those kind of things to bed, and it gives him more grace, and it'll give him much more time uh, with the heart support to get things right, and it'll take a hell of a lot of pressure off him. Um, so there's there's so many things you can talk about um, in this game, and and the rewards I think outweigh um, everything for him. I think if if he gets this right and he can beat them, then it just you know, it puts him back on almost where he was before that game. You got any predictions, Gordon? The game. Uh, I think Hearts will nick it. I don't think it'll be a goal fest. Um, I think that both sides will be extremely cautious because they know that each other can hurt them. Um, and I think it'll, it'll... Yeah, yeah I think, think both teams might just cancel themselves out. Like I say, wouldn't be surprised if it went to penalties. I hope not. I think Hearts will nick it 1-0 Stephen Naismith to come off the bench and be the hero um, that, that he deserves to be. And uh, he'll fire us to the Scottish Cup final. I think it'll be a draw. I think we'll win on penalties, but I think it'll be a draw. I think both teams are going to null each other out. There won't be a lot of quality in the game. I don't think. I think both teams don't possess that type of quality. It's just not the style of both the managers. There'll be a lot of yellow cards. There'll be maybe a sending off. And I think it'll be a 1-1 draw. I'm going to go 1-1 and Hearts to win on penalties. Mm. Well, I'll take either. <laughs> I think I, I think every Hearts fan will take whatever, as long as we're in that cup final. Thank you, Gordon, for taking part. Thanks again as well to Andy, Don, and obviously David for their part in the preview we'll be back next week with a review of the derby hopefully we're being positive but until then goodbye two words derby day two words that get pulses racing hearts beating and the adrenaline pumping two little words that mean everything The heroes remembered and celebrated, the villains vilified, neither forgotten in the mist of the Derby cauldron. De Vries, Hartley, Scatchel, Kyle, Don Kelly and Andy Webster, just a few of those who could walk down Gorgie and never have to pay for a pint again. Just who, out of the next eleven, will never be left with an empty glass? The prize awaiting Robbie Nielsen is redemption, immortality 
and the opportunity to further cement his legacy as a heart's great. With an angry and hurt support baying for blood, this is a sweeter prize to deliver for a club ready to begin its climb back towards the top of Scottish football. The prize, you ask? To put it simply, it's Hibs, it's Hamden, it's the Scottish Cup. Bring it on.